I am so, so sorry. I. This is how we should begin. It's just with you apologizing. And then we won't talk about what you're apologizing for. And everyone will be like, what happened? Hello, you're listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. Um, I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning author of both fiction and nonfiction, but also I cannot figure out how to push a record button, uh, which is what you just heard. (laughs) We got we got 15 minutes into this conversation, you know, which is like a quarter of the show typically uh, before I realized I had not pushed the record button and we had to start over. So and now, you know, that I am not the king of all media that I pretend to be. Um, Actually, that's Howard Stern. Right. Um, I mean, you know, I. My hair is pretty cool. It will never be as cool as Howard Stern's. Um, So here's to you, Howard Stern, I guess. I don't know. Um, Anyway, this October, as is my won't, I am interviewing a whole slate of spooky people. Uh, For this episode, I got John Langan to come on the show. Um, John Langan is, of course, best known for co-founding the... Shirley Jackson Award for Literary Horror, and also for writing the novel The Fisherman, um, which is just this crazy mashup of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and William Faulkner. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, um, John wanted to talk about how he was raised in the Catholic faith and eventually came around to lose that faith. Um, So, yeah, talking with John was an absolute joy. I will flip you over to our conversation, and I will see you on the other side. I'm sitting here with the one, the only, John Langan. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Luke. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I am not the, the only John Langan. I'm, I'm, there are many John Langans out there. Um, there's one who's a Jesuit, uh, which is perhaps appropriate for today's episode. <laughs> there's, uh, there's one who's, I think, a lawyer. Um, there was one who was accused, as I recall, of poaching um, somewhere in the Midlands of England. Um, more to more, a little closer to home. Um, there's a, there's a John Langan who writes college textbooks. Um, and I've gotten any number of emails from people saying, um, Hey, I, I, you know, I enjoyed your novel. And by the way, your composition textbook helped me get through class or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, you got one, right. You didn't get the other, right. And this, I've, I've looked up this John Langan's biography and he's like, he was like a truck driver. He like really lived the life. He seems like an interesting guy. <laughs> a truck driver and writes college textbooks yeah, yeah what else do you need in your life yeah um gosh i'm remembering now i mean it makes sense john and langan are not uncommon names um but i've mentioned this on the show before the reason i use the my middle initial in my professional work is because there are many other luke harrington's 
one of whom, at least one of whom, is a porn star. So I like the at least one of whom. There could be several. <laughs> there and, might be and more. They're this. probably, you know, the some, I don't know, porn producer is like, get me Luke Harrington. <laughs> no, the other Luke Harrington. <laughs> There's only one on IMDb, but who knows? You know, it's a it's a big industry, right? I've, I don't know. Well, this would, I don't know if that would be. So, were you happy or were you depressed when you like you were like checking IMDb and you were like any other Luke? Ha oh, a porn star. Like, were you like yeah, or were you like oh? You know, I actually I didn't discover it by checking IMDb myself. I had people send his page to me. Um, nice. Yeah, and one of the movies he starred in was called Luke's Big Cock. So I was like. I'll take the compliment. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I, it's, it's not terribly imaginative <laughs> as far as titles go, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> they're not that creative with titles in the porn industry. Um, I feel like sometimes they do stuff though, with like return of with the Jedi titles, or yeah, yeah, right. Empire yeah. strikes back or something, you know, it's, I, it's, I think there, I think there was one called shaving Ryan's privates or something. Yeah, like exactly. That, so. That's, or that's some, you know, King dong or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, um, John is a author of fiction, including House of Windows and The Fisherman, and I believe uh, one of the co-founders of the Shirley Jackson Award for literary horror. So that is uh, that is true. Um, I um, I have written two novels and four collections of short stories. The fifth one will be will be coming out this fall, I hope. Um, it, it'll be called Corpse Mouth. And yeah, along with uh, with Paul Tremblay and Brett Cox and Joanne Cox and uh, and Sarah Langan, who's no relation, just that common name again, right? I uh, we we founded the award. Man, it's it's more than ten years ago now. So. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's given out every year at uh, ReaderCon. ReaderCon itself was delayed from July to August. So the, um, the, the next award should be out, uh, you know, within a few weeks. Right on. And from what I know, it's um, a pretty prestigious and respected little award, right? So... It's, well yeah, it's, it's really been the, 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 the kind of writing community, the, the, especially the horror writing community, but even the larger sort of wider writing community has really taken the award to heart. And um, the, the Shirley Jackson, there's a lot of love for her. And, and mm -hmm. she's, I think, enjoying, you know, like, like has been enjoying over the last over the last decade, um, a sort of rise in her literary stock, as it were, with the Library sure. of America editions and um, Ruth Franklin's biography. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the um, the award has has benefited. I don't know. There's been probably some kind of weird synergistic relationship between the two. For sure. Yeah. And as a fan and occasional author of uh, literary horror, I appreciate what you guys are doing. So thank you. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, most of it honestly is at this point is, is it's on the jurors. You know, we, for sure. Um, we all were the, you know, the first couple of years we were the jurors and, and then every year since then we've sort of recruited poor hapless fools to, uh, to do a, <laughs> because the, the remit of the award is just incredibly wide oh, because it's, sure. it's sort yeah. of like, you know, horror suspense, dark thrillers, you know? And so it, it just involves a tremendous amount of reading, but we've, we've really lucked out in, um, in, in the people who've done that for us. And, and as a result um, from year to year, the, 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 you know, the, there's, <laughs> and I don't, I, I, there's no consistency to the award, which I mean is a good thing. 
you know, mm-hmm. that there's mm-hmm. no, like you can't predict from year to year, what's gonna, what's gonna mm-hmm. win. So, uh, which I know is frustrating to people sometimes myself <laughs> included. There were times yeah. I'm like, you know, just sort of like sitting back. I'm like, wait, how did that come on? You know, I wanted this <laughs> book to win, you know? And yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it's not like the Oscars where, you know, the exact formula for an Oscar winning movie where it just makes something about World War II. And <laughs> right, right. Captain Tom British Hanks better be in there. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. You also teach high school, right? I do. Yeah. Um, I teach at a, um, a, a private school, um, a boarding school, and um, I teach English to 10th, 11th and, and some 12th graders, the ones, um, the ones who aren't taking AP English. I, I get them in my class. A boarding school. What's that like? It's it's I don't have to live there. So that's OK. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, it, <laughs> they don't um, make you like walk the floors at night and make sure. Right, right, bad. right. With, the, you know, <laughs> rattling my baton along the, the, the cages, you, go, you know, the you bars go. of the cage. Um, no, I I um, it was a big adjust- it was talking about that was another thing I could talk about changing your mind. You know, it, it was a big adjustment from um, I had been teaching college for about 20 years um, mm-hmm. as an adjunct uh, before that. I had one year where I got a lectureship and um, it looked like it was going to lead to to sort of, you know, renewal. But that was right uh, when the housing bubble burst. And oh, there man. were there were four of us who had all been hired as lecturers that year. And all four of us at the end of the year, they, they were just like, yep, thanks very much. You know, so so I'd been a lecturer for, um, you know, about uh, two decades. And, and I'd sort of gotten to this point where I had... Um, Honestly, I had more publications than than everyone else in the department, um, mm. except for like the one old guy who'd been like, you know, studying Hemingway for like 50 years. <laughs> and and there was just no movement. You know, they they were just they, they were happy to have me like, you know, come in and do a couple of classes. But there was no interest in me, you know, maybe, you know, taking on a greater role as a faculty sure. member. And that was really frustrating and 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 not good for. And this was, I should add, this was the school where I had gone to school as an undergraduate and also got my master's degree. And I really loved this place. And -hmm. I really kind of wanted to like, sort of, I don't know, you know, pay back and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, they were sort of happy to take whatever I would do for them, but there was never, oh, now we're going to offer you a better, a better job. So I saw this, uh, this boarding school job open and and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to jump. I'm just going to try it. And it was, uh, it was a big adjustment. It was, um, um, teaching high school students is not the same as teaching college students, which, you know, duh. Right. But I, I just, I, I didn't necessarily, I, I really didn't at all understand how different it was. I, I also, um, until I started this job, ironically, I had been taking karate. I'd been studying karate, a kind of <laughs> Korean karate called Tung Soo Do. And so mm-hmm. I'd worked with a lot of kids in that. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, I can work with kids, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really different thing, you know, like a sort of voluntary situation where these kids are coming and they want to learn about, about, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. about karate versus um, 15 year olds who are, are just like, you know, full of hormones and, and just, <laughs> and opinions and, you know, and, and so um it, it definitely, it continues to be a learning process. I was lucky in that, in that several of my colleagues were, were really, really excellent teachers, and they really helped me to, to kind of make the transition into, into teaching high school. Yeah, I taught high school for a few years. Um, you know, I'm one of those alternative 
placement programs that some states have where you don't have to have a teaching certificate or, or mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was in my late mid to late twenties when I started and I was like, Oh, it hasn't been that long since high school. I remember what it's like to be a teenager. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, had to relearn everything about how, how teenagers think. So I've been there, but yeah, why don't we um, talk about what you came here to talk about? which is your loss of faith. I was, I was telling you before we started recording that I've done a lot of <laughs> episodes about loss of faith uh, lately. It seems to be what an awful lot of people want to talk, talk about, uh, which is fine. I'm happy to have you join their ranks. Um, so, yeah, um, what you told me, I believe, before we, before we uh, started was you were raised Catholic, uh, fell away, fell way, way away (laughs) and are now just trying to figure things out. Is is that, is that roughly accurate? Yeah, it's, 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 it's in the ballpark. I mean, in some ways it's, it's even more complicated than that. (laughs) Um, And, um, and probably will be until, until I die, you know, Um, I was, um, you know, I, I was, um, I was born in 1969. So I grew up in the, in the seventies and the eighties with the kind of aftermath or in the aftermath of, of the second Vatican council and um, which was started by Pope John the 23rd. And, and then Paul the sixth kind of, you know, brought it to a, a kind of quick close, you know, that's enough of that. But what it meant was that I grew up in a, in a church that was um, progressive uh, or more progressive um, about mm-hmm. a lot of things that was um, open to intellectual inquiry, um, that was actually kind of proud of its intellectual tradition um, and was also a friend of, um, of a lot of progressive causes of labor unions, of, of different civil rights movements and, and so mm-hmm. on. Um, and um, my parents were, were, um, of it, were, were Catholic. They, they were, um, a particular kind of Catholic. They were they were um, Scottish Catholics. They uh, they both uh, were were uh, born and, and raised in the west of Scotland, in a, a shipping town, sort of towns beside each other called Greenock and Gurick, which are to the west of, of Glasgow. And um, so they were they were Catholic, but but uh, Scottish Catholics are, are a particular kind of Catholic, in my observation. <laughs> um, and and there, there's a, a certain cultural similarity, it seems to me. Um, to, to Northern Ireland, where there's a Protestant majority, a Catholic minority, and um, it uh, the the Protestants are in in some ways in some ways they're terrified of the Catholics because they're they're you know they're, there's this whole history in the British Isles, right? You know, of, of are we Catholic or are we Protestant? Is the Pope going to take <laughs> us over? You know, this sort of stuff, yeah. the the gun pl- gunpowder plot, and uh, Guy Fox and all that, and and so in in some ways there there's there's a sort of historic and and also a lot of the Catholics in Scotland. Um, and that part of Scotland had come from Ireland. And so they had come to Ireland to work in the shipyards in, in Scotland. And so they, I think there was probably some of, some of it was, oh, they're taking our jobs. Those, those immigrants, you know, um, the, right. From, from 20 miles, <laughs> from, from 20 miles across yeah. the water, you know, like those filthy <laughs> foreigners, you know, um, they're not like us. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, so, so they, um, and I think I think also um, 
I, I think that that for my parents, or, or at the time they were growing up in Scotland, Britain in general was losing its empire. They they were born in the late thirties. They they had their young lives, you know, the sort of infancies during the the um, the war, mm-hmm. and then they they grew up in the um, in the later forties into the fifties. And I think that you know, among other things, Britain was losing its empire. And and it, the economy was was still not bad, but it, it was definitely you know that there were ominous rumblings, and I, I think that in 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 that case, I, I think that those kinds of religious anxieties and prejudices are sort of exacerbated, you know, and mm-hmm. and you, but uh, <laughs> why does this all sound so familiar? You um <laughs> you you know you you scapegoat even your 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 scapegoating of that minority becomes even more intense, mm-hmm. so. Um, you know, the other week I had to take my mom, uh, who's in her 80s now, uh, I had to run some errands with her. And um, she said, oh, it's it's the 12th today. And I was like thinking, you know, one of my, I think one of my cousin's birthdays mm. is the 12th. And mm-hmm. I was like, and, and she said, no, 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 that's Orange Day, which commemorates mm-hmm. the Battle of the Boyne, where Catholic forces were defeated by the Protestants in Ireland. And um and she and it was a day when the the local orange uh, orders would would march through town and would throw rocks at the, the Catholic church windows and all this kind of stuff. And this was all sort of just, you know, the like accepted. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, the cops weren't like, "Hey, knock it off," you know. They they were like, "No, you missed that window." So <laughs> I, I think that there was um, that there was definitely, or at least they looked the other way. Let's mm-hmm. let's put it that way, um, so that. For um, for my parents, religion was was tied up in in these very um, nationalist um, mm-hmm. uh, kinds of uh, you know cultural identity kinds of of things. My father was always very proud to be Scottish, um, but it, I, I think there was a little bit of ambivalence um, because because Scotland had. Um, you know the the Protestant Reformation, like in England, they settle with the with Anglicanism, and they're mm-hmm. like, we're going to pick the middle way between you know Catholicism and all this lunacy uh, <laughs> of the sort of more extreme stuff, and and the Scots are like, give us the lunacy, that's what we want. We really, do you have any witches we can burn? You know, and um, there's a there's a, a terrific um, one of Lars von Trier's early movies, um, Breaking the Waves. Um, there's a scene and it's set in this, this small Scottish Island, um, or, or community, it might, it might not be an Island, but anyway, small, uh, Scottish community, um, where, uh, um, this guy from, from one of the oil, uh, platforms marries a local girl. So they have this big wedding or not, it's not a big wedding, but they have a wedding and all of the, um, the oil workers, they're all drinking cans of lager and this sort of stuff. But the good Protestant church going people are all just drinking lemonade. So anyway, there's a scene where one of the oil workers, you know, sucks down his, his beer and then crushes the can in his hand while he's looking at this old guy, you know, with a crazy white beard. And the old guy drinks his glass of lemonade and then holds the glass in his hand and crushes the glass in his hand. And the blood just, and I thought, man, that's like, <laughs> that's the right there. That's, that's a certain kind of Scottish Protestantism anyway. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, and as I think we were saying before, you know, it, it plays out in their sports. I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, in soccer, um, you get the Celtic and you get the Rangers. The Celtic are Catholic. The Rangers are Protestant. That's how they see them. They have every time they meet, there's there's there were there were fights, there, there were riots. I, I mean, it's just um, 
And, and again, from the standpoint of, of someone who's grown up in the United States and who's grown up in, in contact with all different kinds of Christianity, mm-hmm. like, it just seems like it's, it's silly, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, a, it's sort of silly and it's, it's self-defeating. Um, but, um, and I think it probably, they, they probably both sides hold on to it because of there's a certain insecurity in having to let that go. Uh, sure. and, uh, um, so, yeah. So anyway, the, the you know, the, the point I guess is, is that for my, my parents then, um, it, it wasn't like, um, like my brother and my sister's kids, um, who they've raised their kids Catholic, like, you know, my, my brother and my sisters grew up, um, in America, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, nobody mm-hmm. cared that they were Catholic. It, it was, <laughs> they, they, you know, um, and in fact, Catholicism has moved, I, I, during my lifetime, certainly much more into the mainstream, much closer mm-hmm. to the the mainstream, especially, um, I, I would say, especially the main, the, the, there's been a big shift, I think, in the Catholic church and in, in such, you know, um, in favor of the Republican party. So, so there's mm-hmm. definitely been a big move that way. And, and, uh, and they've been quite happy to, to embrace that. So, mm-hmm. so, so they, their kids, let's say my, let's say my brother's kids, don't have like, like he can't tell them about the same things that my parents could, you know, for my parents, mm-hmm. it was like, you could lose a job because you were Catholic and people mm-hmm. did, and you could get passed over for a promotion because you were Catholic and, and people did. And, um, you know, it's, um, I, I, I guess two things I think one is, is that it's, it's, I, I've often thought that, that, that when my parents were growing up, religion, functioned in an analogous way in Scotland to the way that race functioned in this country. I think it's probably, it's probably like, like in the, you know, post-war period, all of Britain underwent actually profound uh, uh, immigration from, you know, Mm -hmm. all the people from the, (laughs) all the people from the empire who were like, Hey, we're here. You told us this was the, you know, the heart of civilization. We want to check it out. And even Scotland, you know, but, but when my parents were growing up, um, probably the most exotic foreigners they saw were Italians. They were like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, they ran all the ice cream shops, um, you know, but um, they had good food. Um, but, um, but so I think that was, um, I think that was very much um, one thing for them was, was that and for my dad, I think especially was, was that, uh, and it's funny because in talking about this, I mean, a, a lot of it, and I'm also going to talk about my, I guess, sort of my relationship, it, it defined in his, my relationship with my dad. It plays into mm-hmm. it in a, big, in a big way. But so I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is that as so often happens, um, they, um, you know, one of the unfortunate things about, about people who are prejudiced against in, in some way, shape or form for, for any length of time is you would hope that they would learn, oh man, that sucks. I hate that. I'm not going to be prejudiced. <laughs> but instead what they learn is they learn the prejudice. They learn right. the, you know, they, they learn the, so, um, <laughs> so, you know, many years later, um, uh, like, like when I was, I don't know, in my late teens, I guess it, it was, you know, I had a debate with my mom. She got really mm-hmm. upset about, it was, it was just funny. It was sort of a two part conversation. And, and so, one one part of it, the Pope was visiting the the U.S. Mm-hmm. I think it was John Paul II, mm-hmm. and I um, 
and the newspapers said, oh, American Catholics are not that, you know, they're, they're sort of not that thrilled with the Pope. You know, and I mentioned this <laughs> to my mom and my mom was not pleased about that. And I was just like, well, you know, just saying what the newspaper said. <laughs> and um, and then at, at this point, it may still be going on, actually. Uh, the, there were a series of supposed uh, like sort of uh, appearances of the Virgin Mary in uh, a place called Metagorgia and what was then Yugoslavia. I don't know mm -hmm. which of the republics it, it is now. <laughs> but um, anyway, and, and one of the priests in our church had gone there a lot and he would come back and he would talk about <laughs> it. And it kind of creeped me out after a while. Like at first I was like, oh, wow. But then after a while, there just seemed something not quite right about it to me. Mm. And the Vatican had said, well, we're, we're withholding judgment. We, we, we won't mm -hmm. judge this until it's done. And mm -hmm. so I said something like that. I said, hey, you know, my mom mentioned that. And I said, well, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm doing what the Pope does, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and my dad was furious with me. And mm. he was particularly furious that I would doubt the word of a priest. But mm. I would I would take seriously the word of some Protestant reporter. And it was <laughs> so funny, you know, because I, I like I was like, how do you you know, I didn't say this to him. I didn't I didn't argue the idea you know how would you know this guy was protestant but but because he was speaking because he was saying something that was sort of like you know didn't reflect perfectly on the church um then he must be a protestant mm -hmm. um and and this was very much um you know in, in some ways i grew up sort of like surrounded by catholic culture and and, and in not necessarily in a bad way it was very much um a, a culture of story and so there were, of course, the Bible stories, but there were also stories of the lives of the saints. Mm -hmm. um, and um, there was a lot of great art, although the art was, you know, it was always religious in a religious context, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so mm -hmm. um, they um, uh, classical scenes, like like say Greek mythology, and that yeah, they were a little nervous about that because there were a lot of naked people in there, you know, like like. <laughs> And uh, they had all well, of that. Well, if you want to talk about naked people, we could talk about the Sistine Chapel. But <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that was cool because that was that was like religion. That was like naked. They were like religious naked people. You know, that was all right. Um, so yeah, so so it was this really um, intense kind of kind of upbringing, and, and and all my friends were Catholic, and and and, and yet at the same time in school, uh, when I went to high school. You know, the teachers I had were, were we, we didn't take religion classes, but our teachers were very, um, I don't know, intellectually curious and, and really interested in conversation and, and, um, and, um, and, and gray, they, they were sort of open to gray areas and, and that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Um, and so there was that, but even at the end of high school, things were starting to shift. And, mm -hmm. you know, at, at that point, I'm trying to think when John Paul II became Pope. I think it was 79. Um, and, you know, one of the things he did was to, ram I mean, he really put the brakes on the whole post-Vatican II thing. And with Cardinal Ratzinger, who would become Pope Benedict later on, they really insisted on, on you know, sort of doctrinal orthodoxy. And, and mm. so there were all these Catholic theologians who were just shut down. Um, mm. And it, it was like my way or the highway, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and so um, I remember we had a, we had a teacher, um, my junior and senior year, I guess it was the poor woman. Um, and, and they shifted her from, from uh, class to class. Cause they just couldn't figure out what, well, cause she couldn't really, she wasn't a very good teacher, but <laughs> she taught 
and and she but she started off teaching religion and 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 they got her out of there very quickly because she wore this big metal cross i remember this big like sort of silver looking cross and and you know okay i guess we delighted in winding her up too you know but <laughs> but so she would tell us that french kissing was a mortal sin and uh wearing a bikini was a sin i can't remember if it was a mortal sin or a venial sin but it was a sin either way um but she also um she also had us memorize this passage from the Gospels. And I, I can't remember which gospel it is off the top of my head, but it's mm. the uh, Caesarea Philippi where, where Jesus says to the apostles, who's everybody, who are they saying I am? And they're like, mm. oh, you know, and he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, you know, you're the son of God. And, and uh, Jesus is like, good job. Your name is Peter now. Mm. And, you know, I'm going to build my rock on this church or build mm. my church on this rock, you know? And we were told, well, that means basically the Catholic church is the only true church mm. because it goes right back to there. It goes right back to Caesarea Philippi and, and, um, so Protestantism, nope, that's just, you know, those the poor misguided people, you know, and, and, <laughs> um, and of course there was no mention of any, I, I mean, of, uh, certainly by her, there was no mention of the sort of complex early history of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and even just the complex history of the church, let, let's just say uh, there was, sure. there was nothing like that, but, um, that definitely stuck in my head that definitely, you know, it kind of lodges in there and you're like, Oh man. Um, but of course, during this time, I was also getting really interested in girls. Um, and it's really hard when you've got a girlfriend, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to be virtuous um, in, uh, uh, in the ways that, uh, that the church would like you to be, you know, it, it continued. I, I mean, I, what I would say is, is that um, I, on the one hand, continued um, to attend church as as I got um, as I got older, uh, as I moved into my into my twenties. Um, although maybe not not quite as frequently as I had. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, and yet, you know, I, I moved to Albany for a couple of years, and while I was in Albany, there was a church down the the street, and I signed up to do like religious education there, and I did their mm. Sunday morning education. I'm sure it was a disaster, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, um, because they had like these sort of like you know these these little like workbooks that said Jesus loves us, and I was like, listen, kids, let's talk theology, um, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Sure, they were. Who is this guy? Uh, it's funny. I forgot about this. I had done the same thing actually in my early twenties. I had done. Um, it might even be my late teens. I had. I had helped out with like a CYO education class, and, mm. and but there was a thing, right? The CYO education class. I was like the assistant teacher, and then you had the guy who was the teacher, and the guy who was the teacher really didn't know what he was talking about, but he was the <laughs> teacher. So you're like, how can you tell the kids no? This is wrong, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, so it it. Um, I think for me, the the growing problem really had to do and 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 continues in, in a lot of ways for me um, with sort of social the, the sort of social side of the church. It's it's interaction mm -hmm. with um, with um, politics, with um, with with issues of politics. Um, I, I, all the kind of, um, I, what a lot of other people would think of as a sort of lunatic side of it, you know, transubstantiation, mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> that I thought that was really cool. I, I really, um, um, I loved the idea, 
and, and this is an idea that I guess I've held on to over, over, you know, all, all up until this moment. Um, I, I love the idea of the, the numinous trying to connect itself to the, the, the mundane, uh, mm-hmm. to the, to mm-hmm. the fleshly. So I, I, I love the idea that, um, and I've always, I, I, I see that, you know, it's this, it's this, um, it, it, it's a thread that runs um, at least back to the Greeks, maybe, maybe further back, you know, mm-hmm. but, but on the one hand, yeah, you know, Zeus is like, Hey, now I'm a bull. Um, <laughs> but, but it, it, you know, and, and, and from what little I know of, of, um, of Hinduism, there's, there's, I think some of that in, in Hinduism as well, but I may be wrong about that. Um, but I, I love the idea that, you know, what we find in all these different, um, religious or, or mythic systems is the divine trying to get in, you know, come together with us in, in mm-hmm. some way, trying to, 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 to experience um, or, or share experience with us. And I actually think that's, that's really profound. And, and I know that there were some, um, you know, Orthodox Judaism, Islam have a God who is just distant or not distant, but separate. You know mm-hmm. that 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 that's and 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 I understand the appeal of that. I understand the appeal of wanting a god who just is just like like this pure separate thing that just doesn't want to get mixed up with with all of your mess in in the same way as Zeus. Now I'm a shower of gold. Um, does <laughs> um, you know? I, I found a lot of um, I found a lot of the, the the sort of I don't know what theological stuff. I I, I guess like like the um, you can't really call it abstract theology, that, that, but but certainly the, the the supernatural stuff, like like that, sure. wasn't so much a problem for me. But the kind of social policy aspect of things really came to bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, you know, I, I think it, it also it probably helped when I was younger as well. That in the seventies, that was when you had the the late seventies, the big resurgence of of Tolkien. Um, or well, not resurgence because Tolkien had never gone away. But you had the Rankin Bass Hobbit movie, sure. and you had the Bakshi uh, Lord of the Rings movie, and you had um, uh, C.S. Lewis getting sort of dragged along into that. So <laughs> I had read. So you know th- there was, and of course I was a kid. I you know I liked comic books. I liked Conan. You know, like like it all <laughs> seemed like it sort of went together. But mm-hmm. it it seemed to me that. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of my my sort of the, uh, thinking about about theological matters um, was influenced by by C.S. Lewis by reading a lot of his you know the Screwtape mm-hmm. Letters and um, the Great Divorce has has kind of remained. Um, I think it's one of the uh, for the twentieth century. I think it's it's sort of like the equivalent of of um, of Dante, if, if perhaps mm-hmm. at a sort of a smaller scale. But but sure. I thought that like Lewis's. Lewis's take on on how you explain or, or how do you deal with some notion of heaven, hell, and purgatory? You know that there were buses leaving from from hell every ten minutes for heaven. It's just the people mm-hmm. who are in hell have no interest in getting on them, mm-hmm. and and that struck me as as a far better way to 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 think about those things than um god's so mad at you he's sticking a knee you know um mm-hmm. no it's it's just that it's just that you're like yeah yeah i'll, I'll get to that i'll get to that mm-hmm. um so anyway um i i guess like i guess in my my mid 
when by, by my mid twenties, I, I was really sort of drifting in a, in a lot of ways because I was in church and I would sit there um, and um, I would listen to the sermon and I would just think, Oh my God, stop, stop doing this. <laughs> you know, like, like, um, um, I, yeah, I, I remember one guy going on about Madonna and, and I was like, <laughs> you know, this is what Madonna, you got, the huh? singer, the singer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was going to say, you know, priest going on about the Madonna. The Madonna. Not, <laughs> no, not a real thing. But. You know, he was just really, he's not happy with Madonna. So I, I, I felt like this kind of, like, I knew I was this kind of like sort of estranged Catholic, not exactly lapsed, but, but I guess kind of estranged in, in some ways. But, you know, when my wife and I got married, I wanted there to be like, I wanted a clergy person to do it, but I, but I didn't want it to be a priest because I mm-hmm. knew that a priest would say, I, I, having been, I was an altar boy. I mean, I was did the whole 12 years of Catholic school altar boy. I did the whole nine yards. I knew that the priest would ask us or, or would say, you know, will you promise to raise your kids Catholic? And I knew I wasn't going to do that. I had no mm-hmm. intention of raising my kid Catholic because mm-hmm. some of the, the guilt, basically, um, mm-hmm. the gift, that, mm-hmm. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving, um, <laughs> but, but the, the guilt and, and the things, um, the things that um, I, I guess the, the the negative legacy uh, mm-hmm. of of what you what you're told when you're a kid, you know, Jesus mm-hmm. died for you because you're a sinner. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, that was um, I was just not going to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so a friend of my uh, of my wife's was a, a minister, and and um, I think she, ironically, I think she was Presbyterian, but. Um, <laughs> but very progressive and very, very kind of hip and laid back. And so she officiated at our wedding. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Change My Mind. I will get right back to the conversation you were listening to. But real quick, I want to talk about our Patreon. Uh, We are a listener-supported show, so if you think what we're doing here in fostering difficult conversations about important topics, encouraging open-mindedness, if you think it's valuable, um, I hope you'll consider supporting us. Supporters of the show get all kinds of cool things. They get early access to episodes. They get VIP access to me and my producer, Blake. And most importantly, you'll get access to a bonus episode every month. Uh, This month, I had the privilege of talking to Ben Hansen, who has been a host on several paranormal documentaries for Discovery Channel. Ben's a really cool guy, and he told me about how his thinking has deepened some about the paranormal. Uh, I know it's weird because people like to put this label of are you a believer or a skeptic when it comes to paranormal and mm-hmm. UFOs, and I, and I resist the labels um, because I think everybody should be both. And um, my beliefs, however, built on... You know, do I do I think UFOs, aliens visited, or do do I think that Bigfoot, a, a creature that exists? My beliefs, I, I kind of look at in, in percentage of probability, mm-hmm. and kind of like, well, the chances are, based on my experience and everything that I've encountered, are this and this. To hear the rest of that conversation, go to patreon.com slash changedmymind, where you can become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash changedmymind. Thanks for listening. I will flip you right back over to this week's episode. Um, 
And, you know, that was kind of that until we decided um, that we wanted to have a kid. Mm. And then when we, we started that right away, I was like, we have to find a church. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, it was like such a sort of primordial response. You know, I'm not mm. going to raise my kid Catholic, but I have to raise my kid something. Mm. So, um, so when all we, we actually like went to a bunch of different churches and, and when all was said and done, um, we chose the local Episcopal church, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of like saying I stopped drinking Coke and I went to diet Coke, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not, you know, Coke zero, you know, um, there's nothing in it. Um, I, <laughs> nice, nice. Um, I was, um, but I was, I, I really felt that, that, um, I wasn't ready to, to raise a kid at least or to have a kid without religion, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, so we went to the local Episcopal church. It, it helped that friends of ours um, uh, were, were members there. Um, and, um, and for a while that really sort of scratched the itch because mm -hmm. um, a lot of the Episcopal service looks like the Catholic service, mm -hmm. but there is a real, um, there is still a real embrace of, of intellectual curiosity there. Mm -hmm. um, and that really, I really liked that. I really, I really felt the sermons the priests gave um, were really good. They, 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 you know, thoughtful, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, then I, I kind of soured, <laughs> I, I guess. So I was really taken with the Episcopal Church. We, uh, we had my son. He was baptized in the church. We brought him to church, all this kind of stuff. Um, but then my wife didn't really feel connected to it. Um, mm -hmm. it was, it was too, for her, it was too ornate. It was too different mm -hmm. from what, uh, she had grown up with. And she wasn't, she's not, she's not religious, but she respected my desire to, to, to bring our, our son up <clears throat> in some kind of religious context. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, and at the same time, I was sort of getting more deeply into it. Um, mm. We, uh, I, I became like uh, part of like the church board or, or whatever they call mm -hmm. themselves. And, um, um, and in particular, I was, I was, this is when they were looking for a new priest. And so I took part in this sort of search process, mm -hmm. but um, by the end of the search process, I was completely disgusted with everybody and, and, and everyone. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I, I think dealing with any sort of bureaucracy will do that to you. But, yeah. Um. And, and that's the thing, you know, no, I, I mean, that's, that's absolutely, that was absolutely the, the, the thing is, is it was just people being people. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I, um, I had a really hard time with that. You know, I had a really hard time with, with the sort of imperfections of those, of, of the other people on, on the board. And, and so, mm. um, I had thought to myself at one point, like when, when we were first going to the Episcopal church, I was like, Oh, you know, finally I can get back to religion and feel the place where I belong and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and um, maybe I'll, I'll uh, maybe I'll become an Episcopal priest who knows. And, and, you know, um, and then after that experience, it all just kind of drained away, you know, and, sure. and, and I was yeah. just kind of disgusted. And I, I was like, uh, and um at the same time, uh, in the years around then, this is sort of late '90s into the into the the 2000s, um, sort of mid 2000s. Um, 
my uh, my siblings all had um, were, were getting married and, and having kids, and they were all being baptized in the Catholic churches. Hmm. And um, I remember when one of my nephews was getting baptized. I remember going into the church, sitting down at the pew, and you know they're early, and you know you're like, well, what reading material is there? Um, and uh, there was this little pamphlet, a guide to Catholic voting. Um, and it was basically like, this is how you were supposed to vote. Mm. And, and I, I was horrified by that. Mm. Um, I was, I was horrified by, you know, I, I just was like, well, what about like freedom of conscience and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff? Mm -hmm. I, I just, and, and I think that, um, I, I saw in a lot of the discourse then when, whenever I would go to these, um, go to these, you know, my, my family's, you know, sort of religious services, their Catholic services, it felt like there was this real sort of coarsening of the discourse. And mm. that, that when the, the, the priest was up there, um, um, rather than, um, I don't know, something that really made you like some kind of something that made you think, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. like, like it was just kind of like, um, be good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good advice. I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's, it's like when you, it's like when your parents are just like, look, just be good. Just don't yeah. kill anybody, you know, <laughs> don't go to jail, you know? Um, and, and what, what, um, you know, to a certain extent, what, what really started to happen to me then in, in my, um, I guess really like, like sort of my thirties into my, into my forties, really my, my sort of probably mid to late, 30s into my into my 40s was just this feeling of you know it's all just I mean there's just I wish I could believe but I can't you know or mm -hmm. or, I, or maybe more it's not so much believe but I wish I could be part of this but I can't mm -hmm. and I, I think for what was sort of the nail in the coffin in some ways um, was was the the child abuse scandals in the in the church. yeah for sure, for um, sure. I um, there's a great line in um, the movie Spotlight where uh which is you know about the 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 first newspaper the the boston is the boston herald anyway i, I think so yeah that broke the story and there's a great line where, where mark ruffalo is talking uh, he's a reporter and he's talking to michael keaton i think it is who's the editor and he says you know like i'm a lapsed catholic he said but you know what i always figured when i became like an old man like i would go back to it you know and i, I would just mm -hmm. be like one of those old men you see in church with their rosaries praying or whatever mm -hmm. you know and um, and, and he was like, they, they took that away from me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And, and I, mm. I really, obviously that stuck with me, you know, like, like that's, that's still the way I, I feel, you know, that, that these mm. guys just, um, you know, the fact that they, they rushed to make a saint out of John Paul II when he was really, he, he has a, a, a lot of responsibility, uh, in my view, um, for, for that stuff not being dealt with uh, uh, mm -hmm. quickly, um, effectively, um, just sort of brushing it under the carpet. And the fact that they would, sure. they would make him, a, they were like, no, no, he's a saint. I was like, no, I don't think so. I, I don't, that was like a sort of political move because yeah. you're like, hey, Poland, we like you. Um, <laughs> st stay Catholic. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so so the, um, I, I think though that you know at, at the same time I kind of realized that at a certain point, um, that I, I kind of can't get away from it. You know, like mm. like I would I I have um, 
I have friends who are like, nope, there's nothing, you know, like, like that's it. It's all, there's, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I could be, I, I wish I could be that certain, but I also, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I, but I, um, I, and I kind of envy, I guess, in some ways, the certainty of my, of my family who are like, nope. Um, and my family are pretty good, but, but I mean, mm-hmm. like those people who are like, you know, white Republican Jesus with his AR 15, <laughs> you know, um, that, um, um, I, I envy that, that kind of faith and in, in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or the willingness to strive for that kind of faith. Maybe I should say that because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there are people who are devout, who would tell me it's a struggle and mm-hmm. I, 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 do it because I want to like, like I'm trying to get to that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for, for me, um, I, um, I remain like vitally interested in, in all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, I, I pray twice a day, uh, morning and, and night. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but within a more or less Christian context, mm-hmm. but, um, but, you know, like every now and again, my mom will come and visit and I'll take her to church on a Sunday morning and I'll go to church and it's fine and all that kind of stuff. And afterwards, I'll, I'll think to myself, oh, well, you know, um, they should have made the sermon about this or that or, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but um, uh, and I remain interested in, in, you know, in theology and theological sure. things and, and such, yeah. you know, and, and even as a, a springboard for my fiction, my fiction, you know, um, <laughs> I contributed a story to an anthology that's just come out uh, like the last few days called the bad book. And it was um, like sort of biblically inspired horror stories, you know? And, and so, uh, and so mine is a, is a sermon, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, um, but in any event, um, so yeah, I'm kind of at this point where like I, I, and what's funny is in the meantime, my son, whom we promised we would, you know, I was like, oh, he's going to be religious. We just, you know, we didn't really wind up doing that with him. And now he's, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he just has utter contempt for, <laughs> for organized religion, which, which I, I don't, you know, I don't have, yeah. like, I, I, I see, I see some of the good and I, I, I see some of the, um, I almost want to say glory, uh, in mm-hmm. it. Um, but, um, um, but I also, I, I think the way that you see it on display right now in, in the United States is, is enough to, yeah, turn most people's stomachs. I, I can't, you <laughs> sure. know, I can't blame my kid for looking at this stuff and just being like, oh my God, these people sure. are nuts. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm hearing a theme here. Um, whether we're talking about, um, the US, Scotland, whatever, which is this idea of religion being tied up in politics, tied up in identity, tied up in nationalism. I'm kind of an idealist <laughs> when it comes to religion. Um, you know, I am, I might as well lay my cards on the table for anyone who, uh, who doesn't know, you know, I, I am a fairly devout Christian. Um, I'm kind of an idealist. Like, I think that the only question that matter should matter is like, is this stuff true? You know? And if it is, I need to be following it, but the real world almost never works that way. You know, like it's all, it seems like it's, it's, it's always tied up in identity in politics, in 
nationalism in whatever. And I don't know if it can not be, you know, like the, the nature of religion is to create groups. I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's a question there. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I I mean, I think that, um, I think it's absolutely true that, that, um, I mean, you go as far back as Dante and Dante Mm. is saying that, um, we need to like, like basically the church needs to be separate from politics and that mm-hmm. the Pope need, the Pope needs to be the sort of spiritual ruler. And uh, I think in his case, it's like the Holy Roman emperor needs to be the, the earthly ruler, but sure. um, for which the Pope, you know, wants to have his body uh, uh, exhumed and burned um, as, a, <laughs> as a heretic. But so I, I think that, you know, the, there's this recognition that when, when politics and religion or, or when religion mixes into politics, um, it, it never goes well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that, um, and I think, you know, the, the, it's interesting that the notion that, you know, is it true or not? And if it's true, when well, we have to sort of drop everything and follow it, you know, that, that's something that it seems to me, Dostoevsky is, is very much about, uh, mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Dostoevsky wants this, this sort of total commitment to, to religion, you know, and either it's, either it's, um, and, and, you know, Flannery O'Connor, um, mm-hmm what is it, you know, she's having dinner with Mary McCarthy, I think it was, and Mary McCarthy is talking about the Eucharist, and she says, oh, it's a lovely symbol, and O'Connor says, if it's a symbol, then the hell with it, you mm-hmm. know, like, like mm-hmm. either it's real or, or it isn't, it isn't real, um, and I think, um, I, I, but at the same time, I, um, God, I want to say this comes from a comic book, which is, I mean, I, you know, what kind of source <laughs> is this, but anyway, it's like Batman or no, it's Green Arrow. And Green Arrow meets up go. with this, this, this Buddhist monk anyway, <laughs> or it's a Zen monk or some kind of monk anyway. Yeah, and, and the guy yeah. who wrote it, Denny O'Neill, was, was a, a, a sort of a Zen guy. Anyway, so Green Arrow asks him, what's your religion? And, and he says, you know, I, I, I have uh, my own religion, you know, like a religion of one sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Green Arrow was like, what kind of religion is that? And the guy's like, there is no other kind. Hmm. And, and I, and that again, you know, like from popular culture. Right. But, but that really, that, that I, I, there is a part of me that's like, yeah, that's kind of true. Isn't it? You know, I I mean, we may, we may gather with people whose understanding or, or, or whatever of, of spirituality is, is similar to ours, but there's always going to be those differences. There's always mm-hmm. going to be the, the way that it means to, to you, to, to me, to, to the next person. Um, and I think, I, I almost think, I think the problem though, with, with all of this, right. Is it's that magic word power, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. when, when, at least when I think about the, the problems I associate with, with all manner of faiths. I mean, I mean, not just, not just Christianity, but, but what you see happening uh, in India with the BJP, obviously what's, what's happened um, with the way that, that Islam has, has been used by the Saudis, I I guess you could say. Um, Mm -hmm. It it seems to me that, um, that it's, it becomes about power, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and what's, Mm -hmm. what I think is the, the deep corruption that I think is happening right now, um, to a lot of Christianity, not all of it, but 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 very vocal parts of it in the United States, mm-hmm. um, where you see um, that the the Catholic Church, and in, in, um, since that's my you know, it's one I have the investment in, um, but but so you see the Catholic Church has really allied itself with the Republican Party, with Donald Trump, 
um, and because they want power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's, um, and, and, and they, the, the, the holding onto that power, uh, and that sort of, that, that sort of cultural prestige is more important to them than looking at, you know, someone like Trump saying, and saying, this guy is, he's evil. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. out and out, you know, he's, he's evil in, yeah. uh, uh, at least with a small E <laughs> 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 and, and he, um, and, and we we need to be out there in the streets protesting this guy, not worrying to ourselves. Oh no, because this is a funny thing, you know. Like they never worry when it comes to sex. Mm-hmm. They never worry about saying we don't like birth control, we don't like abortion, we don't like those gays, transgender. What the hell? Like they don't worry about any of that stuff. They're they're mm-hmm. quite. And if if you say. Um, in, in that case, if, if, if you say, as, as I ultimately did, I just, I can't, I can't agree with you on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was, a, you know, I was, and this is a sort of an aside, but I'll get back to my main point. You know, one of the popes, and it might have been, it might have been Benedict, um, decried what, what he called buffet Catholicism. You know, mm-hmm. you just sort of pick, mm-hmm. and he was, and, you know, I actually kind of, in a way, I kind of respected that. In in a way, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Fair enough, man. Like like if I don't believe if if you know you want me here because I believe um, I don't I don't know that the, the the current pope feels quite the same way, but I I sort of took that to that to heart, um, and I think that was that that was another reason for me splitting from the from the Catholic Church was just you know I'm here in this place I don't agree with, and they're telling me we don't really want you here. <laughs> Mm-hmm, <laughs> you don't agree mm-hmm. with us, but, mm-hmm. um, but the other, um, to, just to get back to it. So, so the church is, is quite willing to flex its muscles and, uh, now to say, um, um, uh, we're going to deny Biden communion because he doesn't agree with us on, uh, on abortion, on enforcing, you know, uh, abortion restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, but during four years of Donald Trump, they did sweet fuck all. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, to flex their muscles there. And they really could sure. have, they really could yeah. have been um, in so many different ways. And, and why is that? Because a significant percentage of the people sitting in the pews agree with Donald Trump. Talk mm-hmm. about buffet Catholicism. Um, the American bishops are like that too. Um, and so I, I think I, I see, I think a lot of my problem with, with, um, with the church and, and, and with, you know, a lot of Protestant denominations as well, there, there's plenty of blame to, to go around. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the problem that I see is, is they, they've sold out their values mm-hmm. um, in a profound kind of way mm-hmm. um, in exchange for power, uh, mm-hmm. in, in exchange for so that they can have people sitting in the pews who are going to fill the collection plates every, every mm-hmm. week. Um, the people are going to send their kids to their schools. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, so I, I see that ultimately as, as a kind of profound betrayal. And, and look, I know that there were, you know, on an individual level, there were lots of, of terrific priests, ministers, um, you know, lay people who, who try their best, who do their best. I know that there are lots of, of, um, of parishioners, of believers who, who do their best, who would say, no, I never liked Donald Trump, you know, and, 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 you know, fair enough. Right. Um, but for me personally, that those flaws in the, in the institution um, and, and not only the flaws, but the, the, 
the embrace of the flaws. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, that really pushed me just in a, in a, in a, in, you know, a way. Um, so here I am out, you know, wherever I am now. And, um, and if you look on my bookshelf, you'd see that the two of the books I have are the bo- the, the, the books that, uh, Benedict wrote about, uh, mm-hmm. his sort of study of the gospels. Um, because I'm fascinated by that because I want to read that. I want to see what he has to say, but at the same time, um, I'm like, yeah, but I'm not, that, that, that isn't going to bring me back in the door. Well, we are about out of time. So before we, um, wrap up with my final question. So let me ask you this, aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind? Well, I, I think, I think I learned that it's actually very hard. Um, Mm. and it's much, it's so much easier to remain with what is familiar and what is comfortable, you know, to, Mm. to, to switch just a little bit when, um, one of the things I noticed um, when, when my wife and I did have our son is how hard it is not to do the things your parents did mm. with you. You know, like when, when mm. every, every kid, every teenager, I'm sure, says, when I have kids, I'm not going to be <laughs> like this. And then you have kids. And like I, I, I saw it, um, I, I've seen it to varying degrees with friends, with, with siblings, you know, that you, you fall back on what you know. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I, um, I'm sure, actually, have fallen back on things that, that both our parents did. But, but, but we've also tried really hard not to do that. But, but oh, man, is that hard. That mm-hmm. is just really, really difficult not to, not to do the familiar. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I think that um, to, to try to push away from that um, into something else is it's really difficult. I, I think it's worth doing. Um, I, I, but I don't know that, you know, it, it hasn't, it, like, I don't feel self-righteous. I don't feel like self-satisfied. Like, ah, I'm so much better than you guys. I'm, I'm just like, oh man, I'm just as confused as ever. Um, but um, um, I, I think that, so, so I, I try to be, I think that's part of maybe the difference between my kid and me, you know, is that I can feel sympathetic and I can say, man, but it's hard to break away from those, from those, those ways of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. in those contexts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my kid is who hasn't had to deal with that. It's just like, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's vile and reprehensible, you know, some of the stuff <laughs> they think. And I'm like, yeah. yes, it is, but it's still home. You know, mm. it is easy to judge when you're young. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <You> know? <laughs> yeah. How old's your kid, by the way, these days? He's going into college. He's 18. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's that's about when it's easiest. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I have three final questions I try to ask all my guests to try to scratch at these um, questions of ontology, epistemology. How do we know anything? How do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Um, John, what is identity? Does everybody have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? I think that, um, and, 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 and I'm glad I got these questions in advance audience. It's not just, I am not this smart. You know, I just spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking about this, you know, I don't just want to, Oh my God. You know, um, <laughs> I, I think that identity is a mediation. Um, mm-hmm. if you want to look at, um, 
like 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 okay, it's it's way out of date, right? But just for for purposes of illustration, if you want to look at you know the classical sort of Freudian model, mm-hmm. where there is the kind of id, you're you're just this little you know bundle of want, and then the sort of superego gets imposed on that. The rules, the the strictures, the restrictions, the 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 guidelines kind of get imposed on that, and then the ego exists somewhere in the mediation between those mm-hmm. two things, and. I don't really understand uh, Jungian psychology as well as I would like to, but mm-hmm. I kind of have a similar sense that, you know, you're within you, there are all these different, um, you know, archetypes sort of floating around all these different sort of personality structures. Mm-hmm. And, and you are in the mediation of those, of those things. Um, D.H. Lawrence in, in uh, studies in classic American literature, D.H. Lawrence says um, like myself is a clearing in a dark forest uh, into which strange gods come and go. Um, and I really like that. I really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little like, like um, I, I want to know a little bit more about what's in the clearing, you know, like, like, because I, I do think that, that, so I think it's, I think personality is a kind of dynamic relation. And I think that, um, yeah, I think it, it, it probably has to change in some ways over time. Um, as experience impacts it. But I also think um, there may be certain through lines in our personalities that we're not necessarily able to see. Hmm. Um, I, I feel like every now and again, my mom will say something about me and, you know, make some kind of observation about my character or, or my son will, for that matter, or my wife. And I'll be like, Whoa, I never thought about that, you know, but, but they've seen, like, I'll be talking about something from my past and they'll see this continuity. So, I, I think um, I, I think of it as as this kind of you know flexible and dynamic system. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I really need to read more young. I feel like um, feel like I would get a lot of out of his ideas, uh, but I just haven't read that much. Um, secondly, what is human nature? Is everybody the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? Um. I, I don't know, you know, like, like I, I get the whole, uh, you know, there's, there's the tabula rasa thing, right. Mm-hmm, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and um, which is very like, again, politically very appealing, right. Mm-hmm, the idea mm-hmm. that, that we are just these, you can just write whatever you want on these, on these blank slates. But I think um, again, having had a kid, um, I, I think that, that doesn't seem completely true, you know, like, like yeah. there, there seem to be um, things that are in um, not ingrained. That's not the right way to put it. Um, but, but that, that we, we have our, our personalities as they develop um, have certain inclinations and, and what have you, you know, it's, it's the whole thing where you see your kid doing something you do and you're like, how did he, or, or something maybe even, <laughs> even weirder something that like your dad or your mom or, or some aunt or uncle did like, like you see some behavior that's very similar and, and, and you're just like, Whoa. So it, it does seem as if like genetically there are certain um, um, there, there may be certain kind of proclivities in us, or, or maybe it is that we have certain dispositions in our sort of foundational personality that um, are going to move in or, 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 you know, in certain directions, depending on what culture and sort of cultural context and, and family context we're placed in. Um, 
So I, I think, um, you know, I, 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 I struggle with this because I would like human nature to be kind. Hmm. Um, I, I, I would like human nature to be compassionate. Hmm. And I think, you know, at its best, um, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, um, but, but it's almost like human nature is all about potentiality because mm. we, we, we also have the, you know, we, we do, we, people do amazing things. People, you know, on a daily basis, people just, just, you know, commit or, 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 you know, little just sort of acts of amazing kindness. Mm. But then there's also, of course, the opposite side of that, that, that we are capable of, of monstrous evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, it may be that, that in some way one enables the other, um, that, that the ability to, to um, act in a positive way is, is in, in some ways allows for the ability to act in a negative way because, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm so good. I'm so, oh, well, what if I wasn't, you know, or, or, or something mm-hmm. like that. It, it, and it may be obviously that for those good things to have any meaning, there has to be the possibility of, of acting in a completely terrible way mm-hmm. um it's just we seem to act in an awfully terrible way a lot and that's mm-hmm. you know um I, I don't think that means that we're necessarily you know depraved or 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 what have you um but i i i, I certainly think that um we have the ability to to do both great good and great bad and finally what is truth how do you know truth? How do you know when you found truth? What do you think? Um, I think that the truth is also, it's sort of a quality and it's probably in, in a sense, situational and conditional. I, I think about it in terms of my writing. There are times when I'm, I'm writing and, and I, I know uh, in a certain description or, or I'm, um, uh, I'm writing about something that happened when I was a kid, let's say like that, I, that I got it at, you know, like, like in, in a way that is true. And it, by, by which I guess, I mean, not only is it um, accurate um, or let's say, even if I'm just making something up, right. Not only is it accurate to what I wanted to do, but there's a certain kind of a resonance in it. Like, like, like it goes beyond it. So it, it you know, I almost think that the truth has, um, a certain kind of generative power, I, mm-hmm. I think, um, and and that um, that truth opens things up in a way, um, mm-hmm. whereas lies or or falsehood, however you want to, you know, um, shuts things down mm-hmm. um, in a mm-hmm. in a way. So I, I I think that when you look at the effects. Um, and I guess I'm thinking, I am thinking in more like sort of metaphysical terms. I mean, there mm-hmm. is, and don't get me wrong. I think at the moment we do actually need to have a conversation about, about facts, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. like I think, sure. I think we need to, you know, like this vaccine is not going to make you explode in five years, you know, it's <laughs> going to keep you from dying, you know, like, like yeah, yeah. so, I mean, I think that there is like that, but I guess I'm thinking in terms of, of, of more, you know, sort of like, like, yeah, almost like metaphysical truth. Uh, thinking about truth as as something which which is ultimately it, it opens things up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think 
I think as I've gotten older, I, I see that as, um, I, I see that as this great like virtue um, and, mm. and great good in the, in the, the universe that there are, there are times when um, I don't know, you know, I'm outside uh, walking the dogs late at night um, and I, I look up and, you know, there, there, there are the heavens, there are the stars, you know, and mm. it's, it's, it's a cliched kind of thing, but, mm-hmm. you know, I am just sort of over, I'm just like, Oh my God, look at this. This is just, or, mm. or you know, I'm, I'm, I'm whatever um, uh, driving up in the mountains, you know, among the Catskills or something like that. Mm. And, and I'm just like, here are these awesome things around me. And, and, and it is, maybe it's that, that sort of feeling of the sublime, I guess, but, you know, there are these times that like, like the world can still feel just like full of overwhelming um, beauty and, um, and, 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 in, and a kind of beauty that, that is itself like a surplus that, that, that is, that it is generative, you know, mm-hmm. that, that um, if um, like the sun or something like that, you know, just this mm-hmm. thing that's just, just like pouring off all of this radiance, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. I, I think if you're, when I think about trying to get to thoughts about um, divinity, uh, about mm. the 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 numinous, that that's how I at least want to think about it. That that it mm. is just generative. That that it is just all about opening things up, uh, about possibility, mm. about life, about growth, um, and. Um, and and I think that I I think that truth is 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 like that too. Mm. Um, I, I I completely understand people wanting truth to be something really simple um, because it's just it's easy. Here's the truth. It's in this little box. Here you go. I've got it. But yeah. I I think if it I I I think it's it's more. I think the yeah. truth is more. And 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 but I think that's okay. I think that's actually really good. Yeah, I think about like. Um maybe this isn't at all what you're talking about. So feel free to tell me it's not, but um, I think about like scientific theory, you know, like a good scientific theory is not just one that explains observed phenomena and and phenomena, but predicts future phenomena with accuracy, you know, Um, am I way off here? (laughs) Say it, say it one more time. Say Okay. So, so, so like, a good scientific theory is not just that which explains what you've already observed, but predicts what you'll observe in the future. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, is that a valid yeah, no, analogy I think that, to what you're I, saying? I, I think, <laughs> well, I think that, that uh, I, I think that like um, what science keeps doing, right. Is it, is it, is it, is it, it sort of like frames and then reframes and then right. reframes again, the cosmos and, right. and, um, and it's it's um, and that and so it can change. It, it, that's mm-hmm. entirely fine. You know, we 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 understand things that Newton didn't understand, and 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 so on. You know, although we still use his his three laws. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think that all of our systems of understanding, uh, whether science or math or or you know e- even the sort of softer sciences, you know. Um, are are about that about you know um bringing more into view um letting us see and and maybe understand more and and also kind of move on to what's going to be next move on to what like like it's like 
it's like it's almost like a good theory. I think science is different from literature in this way, but I think that like a good scientific theory is almost trying to make itself obsolete. You know, it's trying yeah. for the for the next thing. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's true that like like a work of literature is maybe is going to allow itself not to be obsolete, but to be to have a successor. You know, mm-hmm. like like there's mm-hmm. no novel. There's no novel where it's like, you know, well, that's it. No need to write anything, you know, and mm-hmm. it, uh, it's just that it's going to make things possible further, you know, further down the line. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank um, you so much for having me. I'm glad we got to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we go, do you want to tell listeners where they can find you, where they can find your writing? Uh, sure. Yeah, they can. Um, you can go. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I spend far too much time on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I, I have a web page or a blog thing. It's, it's, uh, uh, you just put in John Langan and, uh, Mr. Gaunt. Um, you'll find Mr. Gaunt, the web page for John Langan. So you can, uh, you can go there. Um, you can find my, my books on all the usual, uh, sources. Um, and, uh, you know, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, that sort of stuff. Um, and, um, and hopefully, you know, this, this fall, this, um, depending on how things go with COVID, I have to admit, I'm getting a little pessimistic now, but um, this, uh, this fall, October, I'll, I'll be at a couple of events. I, one of them will be the, the um, Merrimack Valley Halloween book festival, uh, which is, uh, which is held um, way up on the border of uh, Massachusetts and, and New Hampshire. But anyway, there's a whole bunch of fantastic writers who attend that. So if it's safe to do so, uh, come and see me then. Right on. No place spookier than New England, which is where I was born. So oh, okay, all right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in um, I was born in Fall River, the same town as Lizzie Borden. Ah, Lizzie so. Borden, the Fall River, and, and uh, Angela Carter has a terrific story about that. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or at LukeTHarrington.com, and I will see you next time. Religion has no place in a classroom. Um, I encountered that phrase uh, over and over again in a Facebook thread I was reading through the other day. Um, I know that reading through Facebook conversations is always, always, always a mistake. Um, The situation, in case you're wondering, was in this group I'm in, someone had shared this cheesy graphic that some teacher friend of theirs had shared that's like, God put these kids in your classroom for a reason. You have a chance to make a difference in their lives. Um, And of course, the whole thread was just filled with people who were just deeply, deeply offended um, by the possibility that teachers would um, express their religious beliefs in private on their Facebook wall. Um, (laughs) But I just like so many people kept saying religion has no place in a classroom. Um, And I just kept saying to myself, like, really? Like religion has no place in a classroom? Like, how are you going to teach history without talking about religion? Right? Like, how are you going to teach 
music or art or literature without talking about religion. Like even math and science, like if you want to actually teach those subjects, including the very rich histories of those subjects, uh, instead of, you know, just getting kids to memorize facts and figures, uh, if you really want to teach math and science, you're going to have to touch on religion. Like, how are you going to talk about Pythagoras without mentioning the guy was a cult leader? You know, how are you going to talk about the history of algebra without talking about Islam? How are you going to talk about Isaac Newton without acknowledging the guy had some wacky Aryan beliefs, right? <laughs> Look it up. It's a thing. Um, and if we're being real honest, like, I seriously doubt anybody posting that bromide really believed it, right? Like, are, am I really supposed to believe that they'll, they'll be upset if they find out their kid was learning about Hanukkah or Ramadan in class? Um, I doubt it, right? Now, if you want to talk about how teachers in a public school shouldn't be using their platform to proselytize, sure. You know, if you want to talk about how teachers should be in public schools should be making an effort to make sure kids of all religious backgrounds are welcome in their classroom. Absolutely. Um, but religion has no place in a classroom. Like that's just, I mean, that's just a bromide. Um, I don't think anybody really believes it. And all it does is shut down the conversation, which seems like a really important conversation to have. Cause if we're educating kids, we need to educate them in all of human knowledge, um, all of human wisdom, um, which means at some point in an age appropriate way, <laughs> addressing religion. Um, now, what am I getting at here? Um, I have to confess that, you know, when John said the thing about the whatever it was, the pamphlet of telling people how to vote, um, I had the exact same gut reaction he did, which was like, ugh. Um, but then I had to step back for a second and ask myself, like, why am I reacting against this so viscerally? Um, part of it is that I agree with John, you know, that the Republican Party uh, is an absolute disaster right now. Um, any any party that would throw their support behind a man like Donald Trump is, you know, deeply evil and does not deserve the support of anyone, um, <laughs> religious or otherwise. Um, but, you know, then I had to ask myself, like, if, if they had been telling people to vote in the way I would prefer people to vote, would I have had the same reaction? Um, and I like to think the answer is yes. Uh, I, you know, I'm honestly often just as annoyed at mainline Protestants acting like the Christian gospel is actually progressive politics as I am at you know, evangelicals or conservative Catholics acting like the Christian gospel is Republican politics. Um, but I feel like we need to think about these questions more deeply um, because just as often as I see the bromide, religion has no place in a classroom, I see the bromide, you know, religion has no place in 
government or religion has no place in politics um, or voters should not use the government to force their religious values on other people. And it's just like something like 80% of Americans uh, say they believe in God. And that, that's, a, that's a rough estimate. You can look up the exact figure if you want. That's, you know, four out of five. Um, so are we saying those people shouldn't be allowed to vote? Are we saying those people should pretend they're not religious in the voting booth? What, what are we talking about? Like, people don't drop their values when they enter a voting booth, and it seems like a really unreasonable and unrealistic thing to ask them to do it. A lot of us like to pretend that laws are based on facts, but that's not the case. Ultimately, laws are based on values, right? Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is a pretty smart guy when it comes to science and dumb as rocks when it comes to almost everything else, um, once posted a pretty embarrassing tweet, as he tends to do, where he says, we need a new country... Uh, whose constitution is one sentence long, our laws are based on the facts, or so something like that. You can find the exact wording online if you want it. Um, and it's like, well, hey, Neil, hold on a second. You know, laws are not based on facts. Um, I mean, hopefully they're, in they're informed by the facts, but ultimately a law is based on values. Like, you and I can have 100% agreement about what the facts are, but if we value different things, we will favor different laws. Um, and there's a real obvious example in the United States, and there has been for the last 20 years, of people who favor freedom above safety and people who favor safety above freedom. Um, I'm sure it's been going on longer than 20 years, but it seems like it has been at a fever pitch ever since 9-11. So, yeah, I mean, you and I can be in 100% agreement about what the facts are. But if I think safety is more valuable than freedom, and you think freedom is more valuable than safety, well, that's not a question of fact. That's a question of values. Um, and ultimately, most people get their values from religion. Um, and... You know, you can say, you know, we, we don't need religion, we just need morals or whatever, but that's, again, what's moral and what's immoral is at least a metaphysical question, and it's really hard to talk about metaphysics without brushing up against religion. Um, I feel like for a lot of people who say religion has no place in politics, what they're really saying is when you go to the voting booth, you should abandon your values and vote my values, right? Um, there's this unspoken subtext that if we could just shut ourselves of religion, we would all favor the same laws. We would all value the same things. But I mean, that should obviously not be true because there's nothing in science for instance, telling us what to value, right? Um, this is 
maybe almost a lazy example, but I always come back to Karl Marx on the one hand and Ayn Rand on the other, right? Two people who were equally convinced that there is no God and agreed on almost nothing else about how things ought to be, right? The only thing they agreed on was disdain for queer people. So I mean, you can look that up if you don't believe me. Um, so you can say religion has no place in politics, but ultimately all you're doing there is just kicking the metaphysical can down the road a little bit and leaving wide open the question of what values are we going to base our laws on? Um, now, if we want to have a serious conversation about what a healthy relationship between religion and politics would look like, or about the phenomenon of people in spiritual authority using that authority to seek earthly power, which is, I think, inarguably terrible, but also probably isn't going anywhere. I mean, we can have those conversations, but those have to be real conversations. They can't just be us shouting platitudes at each other like religion has no place in politics. Politics is the outgrowth of people living and working together, and people are naturally religious. Like, I don't think that it should be that controversial for me to say that. Um, you know, if you're a wealthy person in the professional managerial class, you might not know that many religious people, but your experience is exceptional to all of the world and all of history. The vast, vast majority of people believe in some sort of deity and get their values from that belief system. So I don't think shouting bromides about how politics has no place in religion is going to work out for you the way you think it will. Now, I realize U.S. politics is so toxic right now that it is impossible to have a serious conversation about a lot of this stuff. I recognize that. Um, but that's kind of part of the point of this show is that I'm trying to have serious conversations to the extent that I can. Um, I'd love to hear from you on this, hear what your thoughts are. Uh, you can email the show at changedmymindpod. That's changedmymindpod at gmail.com. Uh, we can talk there or else you can tweet at me at Luke T. Harrington um, or uh, the show has a Twitter now. It's I believe it's at changedmindpod. Um, so you can tweet at me, you can tweet at the show. Uh, I would really love to hear from you. Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, thanks to John for coming on the show. John's a great guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. Check out his books, give him some love. Um, if you like what I'm doing here, if you think this small attempt to foster some serious philosophical conversations in the world is worth anything at all, um, please consider supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, you can support it for as little as a dollar a month. Um, but if you support it for more, you get all kinds of cool stuff, including bonus episodes. Uh, this month I got a conversation with um, Discovery Channel host Ben Hansen about his experiences with the paranormal. It was a really cool conversation. Um, check it out. Uh, go to patreon.com slash changed my mind. Um, if you don't have money to throw at me, 
Um, what you can do is give me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Um, we're sitting at 4.8 stars. Who knows? Maybe one more five-star review would kick us back up to 4.9. Um, obviously, you can also buy my books. They're pretty good, or so I'm told. Uh, if you're looking for something spoopy to read this Halloween, I do have one horror novel out there. It's called Ophelia Alive, A Ghost Story. You can find it on Amazon. Um, Change My Mind is executive produced by Blake Collier. It's edited by Jonathan Clausen, and it's presented by the Raven Creek Social Club. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind, and please don't be afraid to change your mind. Mm-hmm.